Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. I thank you so much for joining us here on the program, and I hope you'll stay with us for the entire interview, and that means going to the podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many, many others, because today we are going to dive right in. I'm going to give you the preliminaries later, but right now we're going to dive right into the a subject of the evolved masculine. I think this is a subject that we are looking forward to talking about, about being the man the world needs and the one she craves. My guest is the author of the title of this book. The author is uh, uh, Dustin, uh, and it is pronounced uh, Garrick. And I thank you so much for joining us here on the program today. Wonderful. Thank you, Richard. Thank you for having me. It's it's interesting that we've had so many women on this program, and some of them we've talked about the women's movement and all of that. And some years ago, I had I had the opportunity that apparently slipped through my fingers of interviewing probably one of the at that time one of the foremost uh, um, a speaker on men and the men's movement and so forth, and that was Robert Bly. Uh, actually used his book Iron John in a men's group that I held back in 1993 out of my home. And um, the, the, the reason that the opportunity passed me by was because he declined my interview because he didn't want to answer those same old questions again. So when does a boy become a man and blah, blah, blah. And I was rather disappointed about that. And I'm not trying to call him out, uh, but that's the truth of what happened. Uh, and I'm wondering... As far as men are concerned, in your experience, we're talking here about the evolved, uh, almost almost past tense, but we're talking about the evolved masculine, not the evolved male. And there is a difference. Mm -hmm. uh, talk to us a little bit about that to start. Sure. So we're living in a time right now where there is increased conversation and focus on phrases like toxic masculinity and the patriarchy. And we're reassessing, and uh, I think that there's an increased introspection amongst many men, especially since the advent of the Me Too movement, um, causing more of us to look within and really question some of the programming that we've received around what is healthy masculinity and what does it mean to be a man, and particularly a good man, in 2020 and beyond. And so much, so much of those conversations, masculinity, the patriarchy, uh, our media sensations with everything from Harvey Weinstein to Bill Cosby and on and on, really, we can name names for the next 10 minutes, uh, have point to everything that we've been doing wrong, <laughs> the bad examples, the ways in which we have harmed, continue to harm, can harm. And I believe that these things are extremely important. But women have been, uh, collectively, have been putting a line in the sand, saying there are things that we have tolerated for far too long, enough, no more. Uh, extremely important. But th it then raises the question of, okay, if, if not that, then what? I believe we need more than simply examples of what not to do or be, but especially for our young men, we need inspiring examples of, what is possible? We need more healthy male role models and masculine role models. And as I described in my book as well, and, and that includes a need for models of healthy masculine sexuality. Uh, things that I, I view 
us as a society as sorely lacking in. And that's really a big part of why I formed the Evolved Masculine. And I know that it, that it can be, in certain environments, very tricky to talk about. Uh, yep. <laughs> now, uh, you just shared with me that you have a, a fairly new two-year-old daughter, female. I yep. grew up in a household with two older sisters and two younger sisters and obviously a mother. And then it was my father and my brother and I. So the males were in the minority. And yet the eight of us seemed to get along just fine. Yeah, you know, as most families do and siblings do. Yeah, sure, we had our skirmishes. That kind of goes without saying. But our parents did a very good job of of dealing with that and us in particular. Uh, and um, it's, it's really formed a, a great deal of the basis in, which, in the way in which we uh, uh, view women and treat women, vice versa, I'm sure, with my sisters and how they view and treat men. One of the things that I've noticed uh, that's v- very interesting about both of these, we'll call them movements, uh, is that uh, there does seem to be, at least on the feminine side, and you correct me if I'm wrong in this observation, there's almost this undercurrent sense of of um, uh, women wanting to take over. Okay, they want to control the show. When in fact, in many of my conversations on this program, it's not about taking over. It's about, yes, there there's going to be a backlash and it's going to swing back the other way, but they're really looking for balance more than anything else. Is that your observation as well? Yes, it is. Um, I think that there are... <laughs> There are a lot of men who actually are reacting to this rise in women's power, voice, uh, econo- economics, uh, leadership, with a uh, in one of two directions. Either there's uh, anger and resentment, uh, a fear that they're going to take over, as you put it, and that it's kind of a, it's kind of our responsibility to reassert dominance, essentially and put things back more or less where they were. And then there are other men who are uh, collapsing into more of a disempowerment of self, a fear of saying or doing the wrong thing, uh, and just trying to constantly figure out what she, whether it's a particular woman in their life or their idea of women collectively, what she wants of him, and just trying to fit himself into that. But I don't really, and of course those are gross generalities, but there's a lot of those two things going on. Yeah. And I, I don't really believe that women really want either one of those things. <laughs> uh, that it's, it's more about us finding, <sighs> I believe that we need to come together as men and, and listen to this very clear feedback that uh, is being sent by women collectively. Mm. But we can't simply just like do what we're told, so to speak. But we do need to respond appropriately. Like, figure out, okay, it, oh, oh. clearly harm has been happening. Whether it's the harm that we we have been either consciously or unconsciously part of uh, creating, or we've simply just been bystanders and allowing 
to occur without really uh, kind of stepping up and holding our brothers to account and being more active. I, b- I believe that, that we're really being called to be more active in creating a world in which women and the feminine is safe. It's safe to, to flourish. It's safe to come into the fullness of her power. So that that balance that you speak of can happen, and, and the, the, the parts that are, are extremely angry and forceful can relax more when she doesn't feel like she's doing it alone, and rather that we are real teammates in that process. Mm. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the interesting things that I'm I'm starting to see a little of in movies and television, although the stereotypes are still there of the of the buffoon husband father who, uh, as, as I heard this phrase and I love the phrase who doesn't want to call the guy. Okay. The air conditioner's broke. No, I'm going to go up. And the wife is saying, will you please just call the guy? Okay. (laughs) I am almost 60 and it's not because of my maybe inability, uh, physically to do certain things. It's more, do I really have the aptitude to take care of this particular task? You know what? I'm going to go ahead. And I'm going to call the guy. I'm a big enough man to know that this is way out of my, way out of my purview. So, mm-hmm. um, and then of course there's the woman who is always calling the shots and being, uh, as as some would, I'm certainly would say, would is being the ball buster or the bitch, and sure. um, and and that the guy is just supposed to fall in line. And then there's also that other stereotype where they're. They're not teammates, they're combatants almost. And one of them is trying to always trying to get one up on the other. And I never saw that in my parents. I never saw one trying to get one up on the other. Are you seeing those stereotypes slowly slipping away, both in the media, but maybe even in real life? Where, or are we are we still stuck in the caveman days where the guy is 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 still calling the shots? I'm the husband. I'm the and my rule is law, kind of thing, or my word is law. Well, I think that's what you. I think you phrased it right. I think it's slowly changing. And there are those who are changing uh, rapidly. There are those who are really resisting the change. But some of the change that is occurring isn't necessarily like we're in transitory state. Like we're, we're trying to figure out both on both sides, on men's side and on women's side, how do we do this? The old rules don't apply anymore, but we haven't fully settled into, okay, so what are the new rules? <laughs> we're hashing it out. And that hashing it out, has been messy. It's been messy. Mm-hmm. It's been messy on both sides. Uh, there's far too much pointing fingers, shaming, and blaming. And uh, too many relationships end up collapsing into power struggles. Mm. So uh, I think that the this likely plays a role in the high divorce rates as well. But we're we're needing more examples that are held up of healthy relating uh, of ways for men and women to feel like they are in partnership but particularly one of the mistakes of the past particularly I'd say of, of your generation to a lesser degree my generation and I think even less degree of the generation following is that things move towards sameness 
that the way that we solve this problem is to just kind of look at men and women as we're, we're just all human, we're all the same anyway, and we can all do or be anything. And on a certain level, we can all do or be anything. And on another level, we, are, we do have some like, core differences that we can override, but seem to play a big part of who we are as men, generally speaking, and as women, generally speaking. And that a lot of it is about learning to uh, recognize the different but equal uh, aspects um, versus historically these male traits or masculine attributes have been held up as the better, the more important, the right, or the standard. The standard. This is just, this is what's normal, and uh, the more feminine attributes are less than, and secondary. So I think that we're still grappling with that. A lot of the women's uh, and feminist movements have, uh, over the past several generations, have been a lot about women learning to step into, quote-unquote, a man's world and be able to do or be beat men at their own game, so to speak. Mm. But I, I, I think that that was likely necessary. But now that those doors have been increasingly cracked open, it is allowing space for more women to hold on to their femininity in the process. We still have a long way to go. We still have a long way to go. And and the one thing I think uh, for some, myself included, that is so frustrating is the double standard that's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, in that uh, you have a situation that developed about three and a half to four years ago mm-hmm. where the accusations were flying fast and furious, no pun intended. And most of the uh, high-profile individuals, most of them, uh, were either fired, they quit, they stepped down from their various positions, whether they be corporate or political, with the exception of one. And I'm still trying to figure out why. Why Are you is it that to the president? That's or, uh, that's correct. Okay. I mean, the allegations were made against many different men in high-profile positions, mm-hmm. including the president, and nothing happened. And it 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 almost reinforced what was said during the campaign. Uh, "Quote: I can go out into Times Square and shoot somebody, and nothing will happen." Yeah. Now this isn't directed specifically at this person, but it's the addressing of the double standard where certain individuals, a whole group of individuals have been accused of, but only 60 or 70 percent of them, let's just say for sake of argument, end up paying the consequence, whether they were guilty or not. And when the accusation is made, that's the other part of it. And when the accusation is made, they're automatically guilty. There is no court of it, it, appeal. It's the pendulum swings that you referred to. Yeah. I mean, the, the automatically guilty that you speak of is in the court of public opinion. 
not in the legal courts. We, historically speaking, our court system has been absolutely horrible when it comes to dealing with sexual assault, rape, harassment. Um, still pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And so much so that the vast majority of women who have been sexually assaulted don't ever report it because they know that they're just opening themselves up for second uh, for secondary trauma. Yeah. And and they're still the most end up don't end in conviction. So it's so now the court of public opinion over the past few years, which is very recent, just swung in the opposite place of, of believe all women uh, or and or believe the victim and uh, automatic you know, automatic guilty, no uh, no proof necessary. And like I don't really know where the answer lies because neither one of those routes is, is sustainable. Um, I, I'm. It's my hope that what has gone on uh, in the with the public opinion, so to speak, is going to end up creating changes in the legal system in the way that the both police and courts deal with these things. But they tend to be slow to change. Yeah, you know, the court of public opinion can change very rapidly. Our legal system tends to be much slower. Well, and and we also have an interesting dilemma. Uh, And again, as you say, it it is in in the public opinion, but the media tends to fuel that. Uh, And that is that when an accusation is made against an individual, and in in this case uh, against a male, um, immediately you are caught even as a member of the public, between a rock and a hard place. Because if you believe that the man didn't do it, then you're not believing that the woman is telling the truth. In other words, she's a liar. And if you take the woman's side and believe she's telling the truth, now you vilify the man. And it's like both sides, you neither side can really win. And as a matter of fact, neither side really does win, regardless of the outcome uh, the disposition of the whole process. Uh, I'm curious as to uh, what, from your perspective, not not your experience, but your perspective, what what is what is maybe I don't know if I want to say the best way, the most prudent, the most appropriate, uh, the most sensitive way for us as men. Maybe we should just shut up and not say anything when something like this comes up in the news. You know, but at the same time, it's like, I mean, where are we supposed to go with this information when it comes out? Any any ideas? And then we'll move on yeah. to something else a little little lighter. I, I, yeah, I, I didn't expect to have this much of a conversation here, but I'm I'm happy to do so. Um, you said the you mentioned the whole just shut up aspect, um, particularly when Me Too first hit. That was the message. And a lot of that is rooted in, look, women are, are finally in this moment finding and giving voice to something that has been part of the female experience for generations, thousands of years since humanity began, somewhere in there. We don't need your opinion right now. Just listen. Just 
friggin' listen for a minute. Now, uh, now I think that it still would behoove men to spend more time listening than speaking. However, I think that's important for us to be able to have conversation. When it comes to the uh, victim, which is often a woman, but certainly not uh, only, mm-hmm. I think that it's wise to start from a place of believing the, uh, the victim or the survivor, whatever language we want to use. Uh, however, from there, you know, further evidence needs to be uncovered and looked at, and the entire situation can continue to be assessed. So rather than start from a place of disbelief, which is how it's been handled historically, start from a place of believing, then uncover the facts. I think there's another. That makes sense. Yes, it does, and there's another aspect to it too. I think that we need to to consider as well, and and that is that we, the public, uh, the court of public opinion, when we hear these stories, all right, we're not getting everything. We're not getting the whole truth from either side. All we're getting is bits and pieces. And I find that we tend to make snap judgments, knee-jerk reaction, if you will. Yeah. You think that that's also part of the problem, that uh, we, uh, we need to stop doing that. We need to wait for more information to come in, in spite of the fact mm-hmm. that we want all the information right now. And <laughs> it's not going to be forthcoming. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think that social media has increased our tendency to do that. If, as soon as we hear something, we can immediately spout out on a comment or on our walls about, you know, our opinion, which is, you know, unless you spend time really looking at things, taking them in, uh, finding out more sources, it's a relatively underinformed opinion. Yeah. Find out more. I find it interesting that, uh, and and really the lesson is in history, and not so much the specific events of history, but the events, and as time goes by, the new information that comes out from mm-hmm. history. And uh, that's sure. one of the things that I find so interesting is that, um, you know, we... we we get new we we get new information because new documents have been uncovered and so forth and so on, uh, and that to me is one of the one of the elements uh, in all of this that we really do we need to stop and we need to step back and we need to uh, we need to um, uh, wait uh, you know we really do we need to wait until we find out uh, all the facts I mean you know it's 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 one of those things where and again I it may be too soon for this but. As far as I know, Kobe Bryant was not flying the helicopter, or was he? Mm-hmm. We don't know, or do we? I mean, it's like the initial tragedy. It was so sad. I mean, I all I knew is what I saw of him on television, on the basketball games, his documentary, which was a beautiful thing. Um, 
and and so forth. And so it's 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 one of those things where everybody wants to know immediately. We have the same problem here in California with wildfires. And as soon as they perk up, people are trying to get news and information. They call us and go, "What's happening?" And it's like, "What do you mean, what's happening?" Well, there's a fire. It's like, "Really, there is? I didn't know that." I mean, because sometimes that's the way it happens. It doesn't immediately come to us, um, but people want to know right away. So I think yeah. we need to do to take the time to uh, to better. Um, to better do that. Dustin Garrick is my guest. He is the author uh, of, uh, I think, uh, a really interesting read. I think that you would behoove yourselves to get a copy of The Evolved Masculine. What is your website? EvolvedMasculine.com. Oh, my gosh. That's just too easy. It's got to be more complicated. <laughs> that's the idea. <laughs> there or it if is. you want to go straight to info on the book, you can go to EvolvedMasculineBook.com. There you go. There you go. Well, I'm I'm excited about the uh, what you're sharing with us here, and, and uh, I'm just very curious as to how you uh, became involved in in this subject matter, in this, I'll, I'll call it a movement, because back, I remember back in the 1990s, uh, there was a, a, a comedian by the name of Tim Allen, and he came out, of course, with, you know, men are pigs, <laughs> and, and uh, I used to hear criticisms of him, you know, that he was, you know, anti-woman, and I didn't get that in the least. What I got was he was pro-woman as well as pro-man, basically saying that guys need to spend time with guys too. And women need to spend time with women too. Uh, how about, uh, how about that aspect? Uh, as I mentioned, well, I don't think I mentioned it to you. I had a men's group in the 19, in 1993. It was just three of us. Mm-hmm. So it was a nice intimate group. Uh, and we did some, some hiking and exploring things of this nature. Uh, and again, uh, Robert Bly's Iron John was our premise, uh, our primer. Um, but, uh, I just I just found it so interesting how important it seemed from what I was reading at the time and experiencing how important it was for guys to get out uh, and 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 spend time with guys. I mean, I still remember my father. He would go out into the desert with his buddies, who we called our uncles. They weren't really our uncles, but they were good friends of the family. Uh, they'd go out in the desert. They'd camp and they'd drink beer and have a campfire and they'd smoke their cigars and. Have a, and my mom didn't mind. She said, go, hey, have fun, you know. And uh, what's your thought about that in this day and age? Here we are in the 21st century. Well, I think that both of those pieces are important, that uh, there's work for men to do with men. There's work for women to do with women. And then there's work for us to do with each other. And that each of those different pieces, I think, is an important key to the to the puzzle does that make sense it that, does yes men's groups coming together i, I run a, a membership community the evolved masculine membership community uh specifically for that like look let's come gather as men and have deep and intimate conversation and exploration of uh of things that are very unique to our experience and then i for every one male colleague that i have I must have at least 10 female colleagues who are doing similar type of work with women. So I do think that there that there uh, would benefit for there to be a lot more men coming together with other men in this way. I know how important it was for me 
Uh, and mm-hmm. my wife at the time, my first wife, uh, you know, she, she didn't have a problem with that. Um, and yet with my second wife, I've not really had that opportunity. It just hasn't presented itself. Um, although there have been times when I've had the opportunity to get out uh, with uh, some friends of mine, and, and she's been supportive of that. And that's been, that's been uh, uh, very good, and, and uh, I've enjoyed that. And, and even uh, I've been very supportive of her. Uh, when her girlfriends, or co-workers, or what have you, want to get together, I feel the same way. It's like, no, you need to go. You need to be a part of that group, and 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 uh, and so forth, and uh, and enjoy the the camaraderie, as it were. Uh, and I think that that's one of those things that we uh, we kind of neglect. And at the same time, I also know too that when they come back together, there is such. Uh, a, a uniting, shall we say? Uh, that's, I guess, the best way I can I can put it. Um, yeah. And they bring so much more to the relationship. Oh my God! So I, I run in retreats uh, for men as well, and I can't tell you how many times like, I've heard that whether I hear from a man directly or from his female partner that when he came home from this you know weekend with the with these other men immediately the bond connection attraction between him and his partner was through the roof in the week following the the retreat there's something that occurs something really magical and potent that occurs in these uh in these gathered spaces yeah and that's why I, I always encourage people whenever those kinds of opportunities are, are there to take advantage of them because uh, I think that it tends to make us whole, more whole, if you will. Uh, have you ever participated in uh, any kind of like uh, Native American, like like a, um, uh, um, uh, oh my gosh, I cannot remember the name of the thing now. Um, oh my. Uh, sweat Lodge. Sweat Lodge. Yeah. Uh, yes, I have done a couple of uh indigenous sweat lodges yeah. that's 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 one and a half more than i've done uh, i say that because <laughs> i i didn't make it all the way through i it was i just couldn't take mm-hmm. it but they were so kind and so yeah. gentle to let me know that first of all not everybody does and that that's all right that you mm-hmm. don't have to go the distance if you physically especially if you physically cannot do that and I thought, yeah. wow, thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I, I can't tell you how much that means <clears throat> uh, in that regard because uh, um, there's so much of a stigma. And I'm curious about that in terms of uh, men and success. What about, what about the whole concept of success and failure for men versus women? Uh, and, and that, I don't know, is it, is it uh, stereotypical that if a man succeeds and or fails, hey, that's just, you know, what happens. But if it's a woman, there's just so much more baggage that's piled on to that kind of a situation. Uh, help me understand. What, what do you mean by that baggage that women carry around? That- well, not that they carry around, but that's heaped on them. Uh, for example, uh, I know that uh, there are people who are critical of ever having a woman president because of the possibility of, you know, hormonal issues coming up and that she may push the red button because she's just ticked off that day. Um, yeah, I'm curious how the past few years might have affected that conversation. Yeah, yeah, 
<laughs> that, that's a very that's a very interesting point. Yes, you're right. But in terms of in terms of um, our interacting with the species, the uh, the other half of the species, do you find that mm-hmm. there are men who um, who are maybe even afraid to be around women? Is that is that? Uh, yeah, I mean, so sometimes it gets a little. There are certain challenges whenever we talk about men and women because we do vary so much. And there are tendencies and generalities for sure, which I've come to think of generalities are useful so long as we remember that that's what they are, generalities. Mm-hmm. Um, the I come across men all the time, all the time, who have a variety of different fears when it comes to women, whether it's fear of not being enough. And that that fear of not being enough, and enough of a man, just an, enough in their existence, <laughs> can extend beyond just with women. But uh, it's an aspect of looking for external validation and looking to women, uh, whether a particular woman or women in general, to give them whether it's through attention, uh, physical connection, or sex, um, or words of validation, in some way validating their existence, uh, mm-hmm. proving that they're okay enough or a real man. And that's a very dangerous game. Very dangerous game to play. I think that uh, both for him, but also for the world, I mean, far too many harms have been done in this world by men who are trying to prove that they were real men. And part of the solution, as I see it, and this is this is real work, you know, this is real inner work, is to come to that place of internal validation, that recognition and ownership that nobody and nothing outside of you determines your value. Only you can determine your value. What are some of the lessons that you have that have been shared with you? that women have learned from both your book, The Evolved Masculine, as well as uh, I believe you have a podcast as well. Sure. Podcast with the same name. Yeah. Um, so with the book, uh, you know, I wrote the book with a man in, in mind. It's very obvious when you're reading it, I'm writing to a man. That said, I have a lot of female readers of the book. And I hear two primary responses from women as to what they have gotten out of it. The first is uh, deeper understanding, compassion, empathy for what men experience and the challenges that men deal with. And the second is renewed hope that, you know, some women have a hard time holding on to hope that men are doing, you know, are growing themselves, that men are uh, figuring this out and adapting to uh, the change in women's power in the world and what women are really wanting. And uh, gives them a sense of, okay, maybe men are getting it and, and hope that, oh, good, like men are helping other men get it. Would be nice. Would, 
Yeah, absolutely does. Destin uh, Garrick is my guest. We're talking about the evolved masculine here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. And please stay with us. Tell me your stories. I'll do my best to understand you. And welcome back to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, along with uh, Destin Garrick. And we're talking about the evolved masculine. I'm going to share something with you. I hear this this phrase all the time that I'm secure enough in my masculinity that I can say this. Okay. I kind of chuckle at that phrase every once in a while when I hear it on TV, especially live shows and awards programs. Uh, first of all, we watch the Oscars. We watch Brad Pitt get his award. And my mother's uh, my mother. My wife says he's a good looking guy. I couldn't disagree with her. He's a good looking guy. I'm looking at the photograph of you on your website, and you're a good-looking guy, too. The long hair, which I kind of wish I had now, <laughs> that I used to have years ago. Um, what about perception when it comes to males and females? We, we still live in a society that still judges an individual on appearance, no matter how mm-hmm. hard we try to get away from that it it's it is it's part of the biology of the human being isn't it that i'm i mean typically i'm supposed to be attracted to women and women are supposed to be attracted to men and i i'm not disregarding the same sex either i'm all i'm saying is that it's like there's a part of me that 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 cringes when I hear those stories that we talked about at the beginning of the program. And then I hear, of course, all of the criticism of our society and the uh, sex-crazed advertising industry and so on and so forth. And I'm thinking, but but isn't that the way it was designed, that we're supposed to be attracted to each other? And that is not taking into consideration personal behavior. I'm just saying, or I'm just talking about that internal awareness of uh, the opposite sex or of the other person at the on the <laughs> across the, the 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 cloudy room or the smoky room. Um. So, I think that the first thing that jumped out to me as you were expressing that was the supposed to supposed to be attracted to X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. And a bit, one of the things I do with my work is I really try to break out of all supposed tos. I want to know who you are, really, when you're not concerned about any externalized notions of who you're supposed to be or what you're supposed to want. But who are you, really? And what do you really want? Let's get to the core of that. Let's, let's uh, heal and release any shame, guilt, fear that you may hold and get to the core of your authentic desire. Because only then is there even a chance of really achieving that desire. Hmm. I've often thought that uh, when, you're, uh, when you're working for a company that hires people, uh, instead of a name, it should just be a number. So you actually will hire the most qualified person. <laughs> and maybe in the in the dating apps, no pictures, no photographs, uh, no reference. Just a, you're just a number. Here are the things that I like. And da 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 da. Okay, so I don't agree with you. Okay, okay. <laughs> and 
Um, this is the United States has its roots in puritanical England, and it still it still permeates our culture. Mm-hmm. We have such a poor understanding of sexuality, despite the fact, or maybe related to the fact, that at the same time we're drenched in sexualized imagery. The what what I heard from you in many ways is about further distancing ourselves from our primal animalistic aspects of ourselves, including those animalistic aspects of our sexuality, the core uh, aspects of attraction that are not just about what, what things you have in common, but that are deeper and even more carnal than that. And I think that, that we need to learn how to work with the fact that we are, uh, we are simply human beings, we're human animals, and we're like spiritual beings. We're all three of those things, and they interconnect with one another, but each of those three parts of ourselves have their own needs, and they will be driving us in one form or another. So let's take the unconscious and make it conscious and find our ways to have them all working together. Does that make sense? Uh, it does, and I, I I do agree with you from that standpoint. I I am a little bit facetious about just having a number, but at the same time, when I hear the levels of quote unquote discrimination against this group and that group and the other group, I'm thinking, sure. well, then just put a darn number down, and then you don't even have to worry about it. <laughs> you know, I, I I certainly understand what you mean, and when it comes to like hiring decisions, uh, but uh, you know, these things have a lot of complexities to them. I, we still do not, we're starting to value more traditionally feminine uh, qualities within business now that, uh, than in the past, uh, like cooperation over competition, for example, um, differing, differing leadership uh, uh, qualities. But historically, that has not been the case. So women who wanted to succeed in the corporate environment especially and this is still very true today, it's just not quite as true, uh, need to do so by adopting the male and masculine way of doing these things. Hmm. But it's women and coming from their feminine can find equally, if if not more, effective methods that would be rooted in feminine uh, value systems. And Hmm. I think that's time for us to, like, most resumes, there's nothing on the resume that would even indicate these things, because we're not looking for them. Right. That's not where the standard is that we, that's being held. Hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it is a sort of a complex situation, but it's something that we do need to deal with, we need to come to grips with, especially considering our, our history, very short history as a country. Um, when it comes to, um, interactions, uh, not just in the workplace, but just in life, um, it seems like, um, uh, we are, are really working towards, um, again, as I mentioned earlier, sort of a balance. That's what I hear from a lot of our, our guests is 
we're trying to to balance this whole this whole scenario of of men and women living and working and playing and 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 you know um, trying to move our society and our civilization forward. What is your observation of our current uh, sociological, if you will, uh, situation? Uh, are we? I've heard this phrase, and they use the the, the metaphor of a cave. Uh, and some say that we've just barely crossed the threat, crossed the threshold of the cave in terms of being cavemen. There are others who say, "No, we're way in the back." We're all the back. We're at the back wall of the cave. We're not even close to the front. And there are others who feel that we've crossed the threshold and we're evolving and we're moving forward. Uh, what are, What are your thoughts? Uh, where Whereabouts are we on that uh, that scale, if you will? Well, I'm. I do the evolved masculine for a reason. I believe that we are that we can and we are grow, evolve, move forward, uh, deepen our understanding our, and or and our awareness, first and foremost, of ourselves, and then, of course, of one another. We're, it, it, these things don't happen as quickly as we may like, and I think that they happen more quickly in individuals than they do collectively, mm-hmm. but there is something happening. I see the signs around it all, all around me. I've been doing this work for, uh, well, specifically with men, specifically with men for 11 years, and um, around sexuality as a whole for 21 and the past few years have seen a noticeable uptick, a very noticeable uptick of people who are interested in this type of thing. And this realm of men's work, quote-unquote, um, in the past five years, probably, I noticed a major jump in the number of other people kind of stepping into doing this type of work. I take that as a very positive sign, because you wouldn't have so many more men stepping into working with other men in this way if there wasn't something happening. Hmm. And that's certainly a good thing. The The evolutionary process, even as uh, as Barbara Marks Hubbard described it, and it was a feminine description, uh, was basically like giving birth uh, and that you're going to have <clears throat> you're going to have the pains and all of that stuff that goes along with giving birth to a child. But once those pains are over. Boy, what a wonderful experience that is of, of nurturing and raising and caring and loving for that, that infant and, and then watching it grow and so forth. And that's what we go through uh, as a species. In, through our, we go through those birth pangs of the evolutionary process, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I agree with that uh, sentiment. I, I'm very blessed in that I, I live amongst a community and a set of colleagues who are all very forward-thinking, who are all on one form or another working towards this change within humanity. So my world is filled with inspiration, and I know not everybody has that around them. Another one of the reasons why I formed our, mem- our Evolved Masculine Membership Community so that you can hook into a community of men who are committed to this intentional growth and evolution. It, it helps so much. Um, but I see the signs all around us all the time. And yes, if, you, if you're just watching the news, it would be very easy to see and believe everything that's wrong in the world. And there's a lot that needs addressing. Do not get me wrong. There's a lot. <laughs> it, 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 a lot, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. But I think that it's, it's calling us to do something about it. And it, yeah. I think that there is a waking up that's occurring, and more and more people are picking something that they feel incredibly passionate about 
and are engaging and are, are, are wanting to be a part of the solution, whether they are doing so on a professional level or weaving it into their professional work or simply in how they are showing up in, the day, in their day-to-day life. I think that there's something happening. Yeah. Now, of course, there's the question of, is it going to happen in time? <laughs> <laughs> or are we all doomed? Well, I, good point. I, I, I have to remain optimistic in order to work in order to do the work that I do. So, uh, I, and I would, I would to. be, I am optimistic as well. Um, you know, I'm hopeful. Uh, although there are times, and when I do happen to tune into the media, and I get the signs of. <laughs> pessimism, but I, I have to remind myself, look, it's it's up to me. I'm going to have to continue doing what I'm doing, uh, and everyone else is going to have to continue doing what they're doing in order for that to happen. And we're talking here with uh, Destin Garrick, and he is a globally recognized leading voice of masculinity, sexuality, and personal empowerment. Also the founder and CEO of The Evolved Masculine, which is a pioneering, co- a pioneering coaching and training company for men. Um, and I have to say that that experience I had in the in the early 90s, 1993, with my friends, uh, his uh, one guy's name was Ron. The other was also was Richard, who was an elderly professor uh, of sorts. And we really did have a good time. We would go hiking. Uh, we actually went hiking in the pouring rain. And that was I got to tell you, that was the best because you got to a certain point where you couldn't get any wetter than you were. So now it didn't matter how much rain came down. Uh, and we hiked to a particular place, and we just had a fabulous time. When we were done, we went home, we dried off, we had a great meal, great conversation. And I find that those kinds of experiences that I have had with men like like that uh, are not just, of course, enriching to the relationship that I'm in with my partner at the time, my wife, and as it is today. But for myself, it's like what you're trying to do through the Evolved Masculine, both the company as well as the book, you're trying to make us more aware of who and what we are. And isn't that really the point? We're talking about that now during 2020, the year of perfect vision, where we're encouraging not just men, but everybody to go within. And that's really what you're encouraging people to do. Oh, very well said. Thank you. I feel very seen right now. (laughs) (laughs) You also have, as you mentioned, uh, uh, you have a podcast of the same name, The Evolved Masculine. Uh, And uh, where can people uh, hear that uh, podcast? Oh, well, anywhere you can find a podcast. There you go. uh, They're everywhere. They're everywhere. uh, Apple Podcasts, (laughs) Spotify. Uh, iHeartRadio, you name it, you should be able to find it. And if you can't on your favorite, let me know, and I'll make sure it goes up there. Now, I've already mentioned that you have a two-year-old daughter. I'm curious as to uh, uh, your relationship with your wife and how uh, how it... Uh, uh, let's go back a little bit. Uh, how long have you been married in reference to this incredible work that you are doing? So... I have been married for almost three years. Uh, I've been in this committed relationship with my wife for six years, and we have known each other and been close for 16 years. So uh, we dove into our romantic partnership on top of a 10-year friendship, which Mm. was something really unexpected but really beautiful. Yeah. 
Well, I, I applaud you uh, for uh, for uh, choosing, and I can see where you'd want to be optimistic. I mean, you have a two-year-old, and you want to see her yeah. grow up and have a life and a family if that's what she chooses, and uh, a career in whatever that would be, and making the kind of difference in this world that you know she's here to do. And uh, uh, I'm hoping that other people will uh, share that optimism as they uh, pick up a copy of and read the book, The Evolved Masculine, available, of course, at all of the usual places, as well as evolvedmasculinebook.com. And uh, Destin Garrick, I thank you so much. If you should ever find yourself out here in the Santa Barbara area, we would love to have you in studio to continue this conversation. Um, uh, I just I have to tell you that when I think about that, uh, this camping trip that I took with these three guys Mm. and the experiences that we had on this trip, um, it's like, boy, I wish I could recreate that. I know you can't recreate something that had special a special uh, energy to it. But nonetheless, and uh, it was just so neat. And so it's it's great to be able to have, have fondness uh, looking back on that. And I'm sure that you've had those same kinds of experiences. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and in spite of the fact that I personally, I've been divorced once. Hey, I still look back at my first marriage and there are still those incredible moments uh, that we had such we had had great times, you know, and, and it was just uh the way things the way things unfolded and we're always learning and growing or evolving and and that's just kind of what happens and uh, I wish you and your family uh, many blessings and much success and maybe one day we will get together and and uh, chat over uh over a campfire, or we'll go out to the beach and do an interview uh, using my little digital recorder and that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I just that think that this great. kind of stuff is really important. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate that. It's uh, it's a conversation. The time has has come. The conversation is itself maturing and evolving, and more, more and it's reaching more and more men. So these things give me hope. Thank you so much for uh, for helping further this conversation yourself and in your own way. Absolutely. And of course, this program is also podcasted on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Spotify, Player FM, Blueberry, and again, a whole bunch of others that folks are actually linking us to, which is which is really kind of cool. Before we let you go, I do have three final questions for you, uh, but I just want to remind our listeners this program is heard uh, Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. on this radio station, Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and of course, streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. The first of three questions that I have for you, you may have addressed them during the interview, uh, but I like to ask them pointedly. The first is, who is Destin Garrick? Mm-hmm. Um, Destin Garrick is a man of my own creation. I envisioned the man that I wanted to be and become in this world. I crystallized that vision uh, so detailed that it inspired me. I hold that vision still each day to remind me of the man that I am choosing to become and that every action that I take, every word I speak, every thought that I let myself think is is another brushstroke on creating the masterpiece that is Destin Garrick. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? simplest way to put it would be to help evolve global masculine consciousness 
to shift how men relate to their masculinity, their notion of what it means to be a man, their sexuality, and how they understand and relate to women and the feminine. And finally, what is your life's purpose? <laughs> I think I just named it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's to evolve masculine consciousness and to build better men. Well, I thank you for helping uh, build better men. It makes me think of that comedian we've we've seen here in Santa Barbara on one of these uh, uh, commercials for a a casino. And he basically says, um, you know, it seems as though ever since I've been married, and he was only married for a few years, that the job, my wife's job is to fix me. It's like she is this pristine uh, piece of artistry under museum glass that is to be admired and, and awed over. And uh, I'm this giant building with the. You ever seen this buildings with the scaffolding wrapped around it for five or six years? That's me. <laughs> and he says it good naturedly. And you know, sometimes I think that that maybe that is the stereotype. But you know, we are all male and female. We are all a um, uh, uh, work in progress. And I thank you for assisting in that. Yes. Well said. Thank you very much. I'm Richard Dugan. This has been Tell Me Your Story, and I thank you for listening to the program. We hope that you will join us next time for our podcast broadcast. And until then, love to lull.